Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, January 26th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We're going to talk about Super Bowl 55 here, give you our initial thoughts on the side in total, how we're going to kind of set up our prop strategies as we wait for those prop bets to get posted later on in the week here, and of course, a ton of them to be posted next week. Then we'll chat some Farmers Insurance Open. We'll warm up a little bit at Torrey Pines and talk about this week's PGA Tour event and finish out on the NHL side where we've got some very interesting stuff to talk about in a massive card of NHL action here for Tuesday night. Over at ATS.io, we got you covered for Super Bowl 55. My opening line report went up yesterday. I'll have a bunch of prop content throughout the next two weeks. The rest of our writers over there will be doing the same on the prop side as well looking at the game from all kinds of different angles. Still doing NHL, college basketball, and NBA on the daily as well. I've started working on my Major League Baseball stuff. My plan is to try and have my MLB betting guide out the last week of February, somewhere around February 25th. So about a month away from that, things starting to happen now in terms of transactions. We're getting a clearer picture on the start date for spring training, some of the rules changes for this year. So about a month away from my MLB betting guide over at ATS.io, which has a preview of all 30 teams, a win total pick for all 30 teams, went 21 and nine on those back in 2019, obviously last year, only the 60 game season, but looking forward to that MLB betting guide, which will be out here in about a month or so time. Finally, download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google play store or in the Apple store, full article integration from the website. It's a bet tracker. It's an odd screen. Lots of helpful handicapping tools in that ATS app. So make sure you download that today. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is the frigid and cold Mr. Brian Blessing from Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Brian, how's it going today, man? Well, there's snow. I don't know. Everybody around here is going nuts. I mean, I I got I saw enough snow in Buffalo to last me a lifetime. They're all going nuts about it. We get a little snow overnight, get a maybe an inch in the backyard and you know, they're thinking about a school day. I'm like, what? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, the, I mean, the kids get a kick. Yeah, they never see it. You know, whatever. It's cold. It's I'd be stuff happy to never see it. I, I tell you, man. You know, it's funny. We joke about going to Kapalua, and we joke about, you know, the Sony Open at Wailai. Uh Hawaii sounds nicer and nicer with each passing winter, my friend. Oh, we got a lot of views on the championship videos last week. Well, let's quadruple that and go to Hawaii. There you go. Absolutely. I think it's a great plan. <laughs> we'll see how that goes here for Super Bowl 55. And, of course, we do have a couple of videos from Brian over on our ATS YouTube page so far. Some initial thoughts from him on Super Bowl 55. We'll get a full-fledged pick over on our YouTube page uh, as things kind of settle in a little bit. And, of course, uh, a look at the Super Bowl 56 odds, which are already out because – you know, Super Bowl 55 hasn't been played yet, so we might as well think ahead to the next one. But those two videos you can check out over on our ATS YouTube page. And Brian, as we take a look here at Super Bowl 55 coming up Sunday, February 7th, Kansas City minus three with extra juice, minus three and a half reduced juice. Wherever you kind of look out there in the market, those are your two choices. Total mostly 56, some places back to 56 and a half here, but there's not going to be a whole lot of movement on the side or the total for this game throughout the week. Uh, not this week, but this is what we said in the opening video where it was, you know, three and a, three and a half 
57, came down to 56, 56 and a half. And we're saying this happens every week. It happened with the Bucks game. Brady money shows. Thing will get to three for a while. It's three minus 20. It's going to get to three and a half. I think this number gets to four, Adam, at some point. I really do. I think as people start to dissect this a little bit more and, and, and the money starts to flow in, and there'll be late money, obviously, you know, when we get to Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week. But I, I just believe this number is going to go up. Uh, probably closes three and a half. But I do envision a scenario where four shows up. Yeah, I think we see four here, too. Maybe three and a half is the close. Maybe three and a half minus 15, something like that. But I do envision a scenario where this one does get to four. I mean, look, you know, Tampa Bay did what they had to do last week. They beat Green Bay. They got pressure on Aaron Rodgers, as we talked about yesterday on the show. And really, that was the difference in the game because Tom Brady didn't play particularly well. You know, I mean, he took advantage of uh, just a horrific defensive play call right before halftime. But he had the three picks in the second half that Green Bay just didn't take full advantage of. Credit to the Tampa Bay defense for that. But, man, you know, this Kansas City team, you know, we all knew that they were kind of a powder keg. We were just sort of waiting for them to actually care in most of their games. And last week it felt like they actually cared, and we kind of saw what happened. Yeah, I think there's a combination of things that are in play here. But to me, the story coming into this game is Brady – Mahomes, blah, 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 blah. It's Kansas City's defense because nobody did to the Bills' offense what Kansas City did. And I love the, you know, the low-hanging fruit and all the wing baskets are coming out of the world. Oh, the big game, the stage is too big for Josh Allen, blah, blah. They probably, Romo probably showed a 10 times in that game an overhead shot. Nobody was open. Josh Allen had nobody to throw to. There was blanket coverage. I mean, and it's funny how one play, and I'm not saying the game would have been different, but it was 9 nothing, and the Bills got the ball back again. I don't know if you remember. It was a little – it was a jailhouse break, and Allen stepped back, let them all come to him, and threw a feather to Devin Singletary, who could have walked for a first down, and he dropped it. I don't know if you remember that play. But, I mean, they had the ball. They're up 9 nothing. They punted, and then Kansas City's offense got going. They had the end around to Hardman, and they never looked back. But the story of the game coming into me is if Kansas City's defense is playing like that, um, you know, they just completely shut down the Buffalo wide receivers who had been sensational all year long. So you know, all the guys that – their names are out there that are getting credit. Spagnola's a guy we should be talking about leading up to the game with Brady. Because if Brady threw three picks against the backers, what they <laughs> – He's got the honey badger, and I got a bomb pick for the MVP. I think Danny Sorensen would be my home run shot to take a flyer on a defensive player winning the MVP. But I, I think Kansas City's defense is a story. They, their running game's going. They, they end up turning to the Williams kid, and that's what happened last year in the Super Bowl. You know, it's a plug a running back in. Who's the guy? Edward Solaire probably wasn't 100%. But, the, but Kelsey and Hill, they're uncoverable. And, and then Watkins is probably going to show up. Hardman's got speed. And they've just played with teams all year long. And here is this not the terrifying way to look at this? And we're going to be talking about this for two weeks. We'll be blue in the face. But you get throw the one game out. So basically they're 15 and uh, what are they? They, they were, uh, what'd they go at the end of the year? 14 and two. 
So they've won two games. They're 16 and two. In reality, they're 16 and one. The Chargers game meant nothing. We're talking about this team peaking at the right time. I mean, it's horrifying. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I mean, look, this was one of those things where Buffalo's lack of a running game kind of came back to burn them in the AFC championship game because Kansas City didn't respect the run at all. I mean, they didn't have to. There was no reason to do that. Josh Allen runs for 88 yards. Yeah, they had 7.2 yards per carry, but Allen had 12.6 per carry on his own. Kansas City had no respect for Buffalo's ability to run the football. So Allen, I think all things considered, the fact that Josh Allen had a decent game, only turned it over once, you know, there were some coverage sacks in there with four of them. I don't think he played that bad when you consider exactly what you said. Nobody was open, very tight windows to throw into. And the Chiefs, it was either send a bunch of rushers or drop back and in, in zone cover and blanket everybody. Hey, what, what is a quarterback supposed to do in that situation? And look, I'm not a run the football guy, even though the Browns had so much success with it throughout the course of the year. I'm a big believer in throwing the ball, simply because you get much bigger chunks when you throw the football. And it's just a quarterback-driven league from the way that the rules are, are kind of interpreted and called. But if you don't have any semblance of balance, yeah. And you um, have a lot of problems. And then that was the case for Buffalo. Well, here. how many, I mean, they couldn't I don't run. Know. well, you, we talked about the bills all year long. I said that that's, that is their Achilles heel and will it catch up to them? And you know, the, the, it, it's amazing because for the most part, that offensive line does a great job pass protecting, but they really struggle running the ball and everybody's looking at, at Singletary and play, you know, the bills people should we draft a running back? Two years in a row, you drafted Singletary and then you drafted Moss. I mean, running backs are running backs. They're a dime a dozen. They really are. Honestly, everybody talks about Brian Dayball like this mad scientist, mad genius. I thought he cost them the playoff game against the Texans last year with his play calling. And I'm not, you know, I'm just saying the guy's been great. He's got an Allen to go to the next level. But why they don't have a running game, Adam, I've said this since day one. And in week nine, I begged on Twitter before the game, can can you guys wake up and smell the coffee? And they actually did it for one game against New England. And they got like 190 yards rushing. The Bills running game, every time they do run the ball, it's Allen in the shotgun with an inside handoff to single Terrier Moss, who are standing still next to him and then start running. They never lined the back behind the quarterback to get a running start to get ahead, get some momentum, pick a hole and run. I, the, 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 to me, it's not the running backs. It's the play design. Anyway. Well, no, I, th- I think it's a really important point. You know, a lot of times, and that was something I loved about what Kevin Stefanski did with the Browns is that they'd run out of shotgun. They'd run out of I form. They'd run out of a heavy set. They'd run out of all kinds of different formations, you know, and, I mean, look, if you're going to line up the same way every time and give the defense any kind of context clue, you know, maybe the the running back's footwork is set up differently. Maybe he's, you know, a step behind instead of standing right next to, you know, teams pick up on all this stuff in film study. You've got to show a lot of different variety. And the Browns did that. The Browns had success with it. Well, here, you want want variety, buddy? I mean, just listen. I mean, forget, I mean, good luck to you of your own accord trying to put a guy on Tyreek Hill and cover this guy. If you could put a lockdown corner on the guy and he's still going to get open, but look what Kansas city does. Hill's either in the slot. He's outside. He's constantly in motion and Hill gets a running start with no, no one, you know, 
handshaking him right at the line. Even a guy like that who's virtually uncoverable, Kansas City's got him running all over pre-snap, which makes him even more lethal. Right. No, and and that's what you do. I mean, you know, you you kind of move Kelsey around the formation. You move Hill around the formation. You get people moving around. And Andy Reid does a masterful job of that. And even to take it down to the college level, I think about the national championship game with Alabama and Ohio State. (laughs) Devontae Smith was in motion before just about every snap. I mean, you're chasing him up and down the formation. Then you're expected to cover that guy. It doesn't really work that way. Well, I mean, you know, we, 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 you know, I mean, it is what it is. It's what it's designed to do. But when you're talking about electric players like this, what motion is designed to, and it does, you have the defense moving, but it also creates a little pre-snap chaos. It's, It's part of the chess match. And, you know, Kansas City is as good as anybody doing it. Well, and this is why I like Kansas City in the Super Bowl. And, you know, I mean, I mentioned this, you know, taking a minus three yesterday was probably a good idea. I don't know how many minus threes are going to come back at reasonable juice here if you, if you can't find one right now. But when you look at the first meeting between these two teams, Mahomes threw for 462 yards and only about 40 or 50 of those were in the last quarter and a half. I mean, they had Tampa Bay completely pegged from a game plan standpoint over the first three quarters. The Buccaneers only covered because they scored 14 points in the fourth quarter when the game was already decided. And the Chiefs just kind of knew, hey, if we need a drive, we'll get it. And they got it at the end of the game to play keep away, get enough first downs, ice the victory. But that's the thing here is that, you know, Kansas City can move so many guys around like a Hardman, like a Hill. Uh, you know, they can, they've got Edwards, Hilaire, they can line up in the slot or out wide or whatever else. And what got Tampa Bay, the win over Green Bay, as I talked about already, was that pass rush, that pressure with the front four, kind of the the tackles collapsing a little bit for the Packers. That's the only hope to me for Tampa Bay in this game is with the Eric Fisher injury, can they take advantage of the Kansas City offensive line? And the problem is I think it's just too hard because of the way the Chiefs can get the ball out so quickly. You know, you, you look at this thing and, you know, Indy, could have won and kept going. And you look at Tampa Bay. Washington gave them a tussle. They beat the Saints. Breeze wasn't 100%. And then this last game against the Packers, they go on the road and they beat the one seed. It's hard to shoot holes at them. But, you again, you watch, you know, that game, the halftime play won the game. You know, a goofball idiot play by the Packers. And, you know, as we look back on that game, I marvel at this stuff, buddy. You know, I'm just an idiot, you know, and I'm sitting in my living room and I'm watching a game and it's, what was it? Second and one Packers got three timeouts. It's like whatever was left two ten, two something like that. They go to commercial. And before I put, shut everything off for the bills game on Twitter during the commercial break, I'm not, looking for a pat on the back here but i'm just this is what what is mind-blowing to me i i i carp about the value of timeouts and i would say that indianapolis could be playing in this game they're home because they blew timeouts your browns could be playing seriously they blew timeouts you know the, the simple things that cost you games and that I just don't understand why teams don't understand. Just take the five yards. They, why this is always a thing. 
And then I'm sitting there during that commercial break. It's second and one. It's like the perfect scenario. During the commercial break, I tweet out, are the Packers going to jump offsides on purpose? And will Arians be smart enough to decline the penalty? The Vrabel move. That's what I put out on Twitter during the commercial break. They literally hadn't even come out of the commercial. They hadn't even set up to snap the ball and some guy from the Packers goes offside. And Arians takes the penalty. I'm like, well, what are you, an idiot? It's second and one. Now, you can get a penalty and it becomes second and six, a false start. But basically, if you play the odds, it's second and one. you got two downs to get a yard, and now you've blown the two-minute warning and their timeouts, and you're virtually, if you do give Rodgers the ball back, he's getting it back with 10 seconds left. This guy takes the five-yard penalty. The Packers get him the third down, and there's the holding penalty, the late flag. He did pull the guy's jersey. But if that kid didn't pull the jersey, that pass is incomplete. Aaron Rodgers is getting the ball back with a minute 50 seconds to go. What? what like, like, Arians looked at that like, well, that's offside. We got the first down, guys. He didn't know that was coming. That was the perfect scenario to decline the penalty. And, oh, by the way, you've got the greatest quarterback in the history of the game that runs quarterback sneaks. He could have run two quarterback sneaks at worst to get the first down and the game was over. But Arians declined the penalty and got away with it. I, I just marvel at this stuff. And that's something I'm thinking about here, too, with this game is Andy Reid. I mean, the guy is is an exceptional game planner, a very, very good head coach, very good schemer. And Tampa Bay, it didn't come back to hurt them in the first half, but it damn sure could have. They had, what, five or six third down conversions over their first couple of draw over their first three drives that really gave them the opportunity to get out there and put some points on the board, some scoreboard pressure on Green Bay. They kept running the football on first down, so predictable, not getting anything out of it. They converted, what, two or three third and ten pluses over their first few drives in the first half. I mean, look, their play calling was abominable in the first half for the most part. They just got very lucky that Brady was able to make plays on third down. If you do that shit against Kansas City, Andy Mm. Reid will bury you. I... I'll be honest with you, man. The more I think about this game, and I could be dead wrong, and I've been wrong, you know, doubting the Buccaneers over the last few weeks and several times over the course of the season. I, I, say it. Say this, it. This I, is I think gonna be same, a blowout. That's what I think. I think this is an ass kicking. I really I, truly that, honestly, that's what I think. And it, it's funny, you know, the line's three, and you used the words before. The only chance Tampa Bay has, and the line's three. Yeah. And no, no, I I feel the only thing is Kansas City does have this weird penchant for coming out of the gate slow, right? I mean, they're down 9 nothing in the Bills game. They were down 21 nothing to Houston last year. They were down big in the Super Bowl. Yeah. That's the, I mean, if, if they ever come out of the gate fast, you know, like if they get up 14 nothing and Brady's one-dimensional, the way that defense played this past week, I, I'm with you. It, it, it's a game that could be – and, and, oh, by the way, we've been – if you remember the, the long stretch of the Super Bowls were just duds. They were all, you know, ass-kickings. We've been treated to a lot of good Super Bowls, I think, for a number of years now. I don't know that this one's going to qualify. No, I, I don't think so either. And, and this is one, too, where – I talked about this on yesterday's show. The spread hasn't come into play in a Super Bowl since 2009, which would mean that either the underdog has won outright – or the favorite has won and covered. So even though this thing probably goes three and a half, maybe four, 
I don't envision a scenario where Kansas City wins this game by, you know, one or two, maybe three points, something like that. I, if Kansas City is going to win this game, I think they win it big. I think if Tampa Bay wins this game, that's when it's close. And at that point, the spread, it doesn't really matter anyway. So, well, yeah, I tell you, hope, do a rain dance. And believe me, the, you can get the skies opening up in Tampa Bay. I think we haven't seen a forecast that far out yet, but, uh, you know, you want it off track. You know, somehow slow them down. And listen, this isn't to diminish uh, the weapons that Tampa Bay has. Listen, they went up, you know, not to diminish what they've done. They're here. Brady's here. But, you know, they won in Green Bay. Give them credit. I mean, the Packers did a lot of stuff to, you know, lead to their own demise, but Tampa Bay took advantage. Tampa Bay took advantage in New Orleans. Survive in advance. They're here. So, don't forget, they won this game without Antonio Brown. So, you know, you've got they've got weapons. And Fournette, you know, had that nice spin move for the touchdown. If they can get a lead and he can hammer the rock and shorten the game, I mean, there's a formula for Tampa certainly to win this game. You know, I, I think we're maybe, maybe we're doing what we warn everybody not to do. And that's, you know, go overboard with what you last witnessed. But there's just something about you had to go back to November 1st before Kansas City covered a game. And and, and they, they had a bite to their game. They had a real edge. I, I, I think they really rose to the occasion here because I think they thought, and to their credit, I think they thought that was the team that, that was a main danger to them was the Bills. And they, and they beat their ass. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And and I even texted you last week. And again, maybe maybe we are being too harsh on Tampa Bay. But I even texted you last week after Tampa Bay won, after kind of watching that performance, that I just – I wasn't impressed with Tampa Bay's performance. I really haven't been that impressed with Tampa Bay all year long. I know they've won and found ways to win and all of that. But I just – their body of work just doesn't stand out to me. And I straight up texted you. I said, the AFC Championship game is the Super Bowl. I think whoever wins that game beats Tampa Bay. So – you know, I'm not going to back off of that. I'm going to try to find more exciting angles to talk about as we go forward here over the next, you know, 12 days or whatever it is. But well, let me throw one at you. Just one. Close your eyes. Picture the game you just watched. The two games you just watched. They were able to get to Josh Allen numerous times where Allen could not get away from pressure and get out of the pocket. He did it all year long. And yeah, oh, he holds on to the ball too long. Well, for starters. No one was open. He's done that all year long and been able to escape, extend plays, and then find guys that were wide open downfield. Kansas City's defensive design. How many times up the middle or off the edge did they get to Josh Allen, who was arguably one of the, I don't know, say he's one of the top five mobile quarterbacks, maybe higher, I don't know. But they consistently got to Josh Allen, who's evasive. Brady's a pylon. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't disagree with anything you said there. Frankly, you know what? In in evaluating that game from a Buffalo standpoint, I don't mind the game Josh Allen played. People are talking, you know, he held on to the ball too long. And look, he had turnover issues, especially in his first year, but even in his second year too, where he had some turnover issues. He did take some sacks and, you know, kind of put his team in some bad spots. I, and look, he didn't really hurt his team that badly in that game. He had one horrible him. throw should have been picked. He threw one bad pass on an out 
to Diggs. Uh, it was a, a, just a, a quick out. He sailed the up pass. But again, he he's back there. He you know he has them in the right plays, the pre snap routines. He he did everything he's done all year long. The difference was other than Beasley, who's almost uncoverable underneath. Davis was playing on a bum ankle, not an excuse. He's their big guy, but he was rendered moot because he wasn't 100%. Davis is their big guy in the red zone. They really never got to the red zone. You know what I mean? I mean, the wide receivers were not open in that game, and they didn't run the football. Andy Reid outcoached McDermott. Leslie Frazier's game plan was a train wreck. I mean, it was one of the you're, – you're literally sitting here going, do we, don't we? Well, pick one because they didn't blitz them and they were getting destroyed, you know, playing zone and protected against the big play. At some point in a game like that, when you read how the game's going, we got to create a turnover. We get, you know, you got to blitz and hope he makes a mistake. Plus, they should have been blitzing from the first snap of the game because we don't know about the guy's toe. I, it was a really bizarre game plan on both sides of the ball. I mean, they deserve full marks as far as they got. And I, I don't, you know, it's over. I, I was like, hey, the better team won. Move on. But I just thought their game plan on both sides of the ball was really pedestrian. They got outcoached. They did. And and even though the Browns hung around, Stefanski got outcoached, you know, in, in the divisional round game as well. So I would expect the same here for Arians. I mean, I know Arians is, is a pretty experienced guy, but I would expect the same for him. I would expect Byron Leftwich to get outcoached here in this one. Uh, again, just a lot of signs pointing towards Kansas City. Did I, wonder, did, I win the, did I win the lottery yet this morning? I got to keep looking. If Leslie Frazier gets the Texans job, the Bills get two third-round draft picks. I don't know. I haven't seen anything about that yet. But Go, Leslie, go Leslie Frazier. Go. Well, before we move away from the Super Bowl, as I said, props are going to come out starting Thursday night or Friday at a lot of places, and then obviously a lot more things will get released next week. That's when I start looking into, I believe, Eric Church is singing the National Anthem, so I'll start looking at that. I don't know who the hell is doing the halftime show, but we'll look through all that stuff here, both on ATS Radio and over at ATS.io as well. Brian, what's your you know sort of uh, general approach to the prop betting market? Are there some things that you know you kind of like to take a look at annually? Are you just kind of looking based on the matchup? How does that thought process come together for you? Um, no, it's uh, it's the matchup. I mean, there there are things I think you look at. I know last year, I'm going from memory, and I'm looking at the box score. Uh, yeah, last year I think. And I have told you, I'm playing Danny Sorensen to be the MVP in the game, which is a long shot. Because Williams could have been the MVP last year running the ball, but Mahomes got it, and his quarterback rating was 78 in the Super Bowl, and he won the MVP. You know, So we know it's Brady or, or Mahomes are going to be so chalkish, and the odds are they one of them will win it. But if it happens to be lower scoring or – Kansas City just kind of you know beats them up on both sides of the ball, but they get a defensive touchdown. Um, I'm going to take a shot with Danny Sorensen to be the MVP. The Honey Badger sticks out like a sort of this Sorensen guy is a monster. I remember last year in the Super Bowl, that was my big play of the game. I swear, I swear to God, of all the things, my big play in the game last year, and that this will be the case this year. I'll find something, but my my strongest opinion and and biggest bet last year in the Super Bowl was, and I forget the exact number, I think it was five and a half. 
I played Danny Sorensen over five and a half solo and unassisted tackles, and he had uh, he had six total. He had four solo tackles. So I, I'm going to play Sorensen. I know that. I'll play Sorensen tackles. I would assume he'll draw the matchup on Gronkowski. Now, that was part of it last year. He was going to draw the assignment uh, on the uh, on the other side of the ball. Kittle. Go, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm, you know, I was going to say, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, no, I'm, I'm looking at the box score to make sure. I'm going to say Kittle because make sure he played. Yeah, he played because yeah, yeah, he's always hurt. But Kittle had four receptions for 36 yards. I could virtually guarantee you Sorensen made three of those four tackles. So if Gronkowski is going to be a focal point of the offense, I do look to do that. If you have an offensive guy you think is going to have a big day with receiving yards, who's the guy covering him? If they're going to target a guy, you know, 12 times and he's going to get nine catches, other than if he goes for a touchdown, the guy covering him is going to make 75% of the tackles that the guy gets, you know what I mean? And you get the deflated number on the def- on the defensive side of the ball. But if he's the guy covering the guy you think is the focal point of the offense, you know, you get the, the I hate the value word, you know, but but the lower numbers on the, the guy that's going to be covering him and his tackles. So that's how I, I do look at the game. I kind of go inside and, and try to find those kind of things where if you can say you found an edge, you find an edge. Yeah, there are a lot of different ways to attack this. I, I had Patrick Mahomes first touchdown last year. That was something that was a big swing for me because I was kind of about 500 on props, but I hit that one, you know, at a pretty nice big price with his one yard touchdown. Um, you know, I, I had a lot of just different types of things. Damian Williams, I wound up having him. Uh, over his total yards rushing and receiving that was an easy one that came through Uh, as you said he could have wound up very easily being the MVP in that game I think about a lot of different things you know I think about who's going to line up with who I talked about all the pre-snap motion for the Chiefs so it's hard to take some defensive player stuff with Tampa Bay but I'm sure I'll find some ways to do that then you also think about game state you know how do you expect this to play out like you and I are both talking about we think Kansas City wins this game and wins this game comfortably so that would mean Brady's going to have to throw a lot because Tampa Bay is going to be trailing in the game. Who benefits from that? You know, do I wind up taking Tyler Johnson over receptions, over receiving yards, something like that, thinking that the Chiefs just decide, you know what, Mike Evans is not going to beat us. Doesn't matter what the score of the game is, Mike Evans will not beat us. So maybe look at Johnson or Scotty Miller or somebody like that. You know, I start thinking about that. I think about game state, kind of what the focal point will be Generally, I wind up finding you know, the third receiver option, something like that. I remember a few years ago in the Super Bowl, Brandon LaFell for Carolina. I had him for any time touchdown, I think first touchdown, and a few other props. That was the game where he basically had his head ripped off at the two-yard line uh, before going, you know, he would have been going in for a touchdown, but basically got decapitated, left the game with a concussion. But he was right there, you know, on the doorstep for going over a lot of the props. So that's kind of what I like to do. You know, I like to find some defensive guys based on matchups, then kind of find the guys that, you know, maybe people aren't expecting to be a huge part of the game plan, but wind up being that way because it's the Super Bowl and you've got elite playmakers, elite quarterbacks, generally speaking, elite to above average coaching minds that they're going to find other edges that I think we can play on in the prop market. Well, you look at the, this last game, Devin White had 15 tackles. You know, he's a tackling machine. I don't know that it necessarily plays out the same way uh, because how Kansas City's offense is designed. But if Kansas City gets a lead and then they they go to the running game a lot, I mean, a guy like, that's a ridiculous number. 
you know, they're not going to hang, you know, 12 and a half tackles for White. I mean, it'll be something up there. It'll be something about, you know, eight and a half, nine and a half, probably total tackles on a guy like Devin White. The one thing, I don't usually play these things, but I think with these two quarterbacks, um, I may play the longest touchdown of the game. They'll probably hang up. Usually it's like 42 and a half, 43 and a half, something, maybe longer. I might play it. I mean, aren't, I mean, we'll find out by the time we get there, but both Tampa Bay safeties are hurt. Now, maybe they're ready to go by the time you get to the game, but you know, if you got some inexperienced safeties back there against Mahomes, I mean, you, you know, those deep corners sets up somebody to run a nine route and like wide open for Mahomes. And like, you think about it from last year, I mean, Travis Kelsey caught all six of his targets, but only for 43 yards, his longest catch was 11 yards. So, you know, you kind of look at that game and you think, okay, is San Francisco who has a matchup nightmare tight end in George Kittle going to focus on the matchup nightmare tight end on the other side. And they absolutely did. And they really did hold him in check. Now he did score a touchdown for the anytime touchdown and all that, but he only had 43 yards, only six catches. So you start thinking about what is the other team going to try to take away? Is there something that they understand you know, the absolute importance of that you know, they can prep for in practice, something like that. I love the props. The props to me, are my favorite thing of the entire NFL season. Because to me, I'm going to sit there, I'm going to get in the minds of all four of these coordinators and try to figure out what they want to achieve. And obviously we have a recent data point for Andy Reid, you know, just having been in the Super Bowl last year and Eric Bieniemy and Spagnola and all that. But, you know, to me, I think that's, I think it's the most fun way to approach the props. Because, yeah, I think Kansas City wins this game in blowout fashion, but you know, the number's probably right. The total's probably right from a betting standpoint. You know, I'm not going to bet Mahomes to win the MVP because it's going to be probably even money or something like that to do it. You know, I'm going to find stuff that's kind of off the beaten path a little bit, maybe even some cross-sport props. You know, just ways to have a very diverse portfolio for the Super Bowl. Well, you're going against the market, but you're also going against the odds makers. When you say you're trying to you'll get in the head of the quarterback where well, you can try to get ahead of the head of the odds makers and the betting public too. And from a props perspective, I mean, I, I, it was like, to me, it was a license to print money in the last month of the season. The bills had a Monday night game with San Francisco, a Sunday night game with Pittsburgh. Then Saturday they played a Denver. So it was kind of a nationally televised game because it was a Saturday game. And then they played a Monday night game against new England. Four weeks in a row, I go, really? You guys aren't going to keep bumping this number up? Stronger opinions than the game themselves was I played Stefan Diggs over, like, it was the one week it was like 89 and a half. Then they, the highest he ever got was like to 92 and a half. And it was cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. Like, guys, he leads the league in targets. He leads the league in yards. He's in a toe-to-toe battle with Kelsey for the uh, to lead the league in receiving yards. And they were going for it. They wanted him to get it. And, and it was like, believe me, Stephon Diggs getting the yardage was a safer play than cider total in any of those games. That and the Bills covering the first half number, which literally, I mean, you could, uh, you know, you have lakefront property. Well, I mean, so you if I'm going to have lakefront property, I'm not doing it in Cleveland or Baltimore or Buffalo. I, I know. Well, I, I, I say that. I'm not, I'm sitting on my patio looking at snow. <laughs> 
But, 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 but you know what I'm saying, though? You find those things that you keep waiting for these adjustments, and sometimes they never come. No, that's an excellent point. And again, we'll talk a lot more about props as we have some actual numbers to talk about instead of just kind of speculating on where some of these things will be. But yeah, to me, that's the best way to attack the Super Bowl year in and year out. And again, even though I've got a pretty strong opinion on the Chiefs here, I'll still have a, a lot of prop bets, probably somewhere in the range of 10 to 15 prop bets uh, that I do like and will be writing about over at the website last, and also talking about on the show here. Last thing, last thing on a brush. But generally speaking, the offensive players that go over the total in props are on the losing side. Yeah. Generally, because if a team gets a lead and a team is one-dimensional and then the teams go to that nonsensical cover two or prevent defense and make them take four minutes, five minutes to score instead of why are you changing? You're frustrating the hell out of them. But it, but then you get that dink and dunk stuff where it becomes a fantasy football game and it has nothing to do with the game itself. I mean, the, the guy, if you remember what, Tony Romo at the end of his career, the fantasy gold mine of all fantasy gold mines was Jason Witten. He'd sit there, he'd be invisible the whole game. The Cowboys would be down 17. Jason Witten would get 100 yards on the last three possessions of the game where they would just throw 10 yards to Witten, 10 yards to Witten, and methodically go down the middle because the defense was giving them that. No, it's a, yeah, you know, that's it's a great a, point. I mean, the, the props is fantasy football. That's what it is. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, uh, you know, a lot of things to consider here for Super Bowl 55, to say the least. One of my favorite golf tournaments is also next week, although clearly watered down here in the pandemic, the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Uh, but this week, we've got the Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines, which will also host the U.S. Open this year. So even though there's an event over in Dubai where guys like Colin Morikawa are there, Ty Hatton is there, Tommy Fleetwood is there, which kind of surprises me with that major coming up here at Torrey Pines. We've still got a pretty good field this week. No Dustin Johnson. Tiger Woods had back surgery again. Not miss, or We're missing guys like Patrick Cantlay, Webb Simpson, stuff like that. So we got John Rahm, the favorite, 7-1 to one at DraftKings. Uh, Rory McIlroy, about 9-1. to one. Xander Schauffele, San Diego State product at 12-1. to one. Tony Finau, 17. Harris English, Hideki Matsuyama, Patrick Reed, all in the 25s. Some very good players in the 30 and 40 range this week. What happens is without Cantlay and Simpson and all of that, some of the prices kind of get spread out to some degree. And with a couple of single-digit guys in Rom and Rory, I think we got some good betting value here at Torrey Pines this week, Brian. Yeah, it's it's so early in a season. Real quick on Dubai. You mentioned that. Just not to gloss over it because you made me think, and I went and looked. Rory was a runner-up at Dubai this past week, and Ty Hatton was just lights out. And now Rory's traveling all the way the heck back, I'm sure, in luxury. But that's a lot of travel. But he was in good form. Didn't get anything done on Sunday. I always Guys that always play good over in Dubai, Martin Keimer at 40-1, to 1, who had a real solid last year. Henrik Stenson. Uh, don't sleep on Henrik Stenson. He's, I thought I saw 45-1, to 50-1 to 1 on Stenson. He lives in Dubai. And his game, believe me, is I watched him late in the year. He can still stripe the three wood. He's 60 to one action. Nice overlay. I think Henry Stenson, watch. I'll just throw that out there because I love the European tour. I don't think we talk enough about it. Not, I mean, maybe my fault. I think we should talk more about it. I love the European tour. And I think there's real 
real good. The problem with the European Tour is, unlike the PGA Tour, Adam, it, this is like what golf used to be like. You know, you make your bets on Wednesday, and good luck to you. You know, you watch the tournament, and there's really not much in the States we can do about it, you know, from fluctuating odds as the tournament goes on. But I love the European Tour. I think Keimer and Stenson are certainly worth the play there to give you a little something, a little run for your money there. As for this one, uh, Rom withdrew last week with a tweaked back. If he's okay, he plays good here, no doubt. Remember the long snake he made on 18 to one year to win it? Um, McElroy, I'd throw out because of the travel. I hate chalk, but Xander Shoffley went to San Diego State. He's on. He's at 12 to one. I would think there's a day coming that he's going to win at Torrey Pines. If it's not this one, it could be the major. But I would I would look at, Sh- at Shoffley. Leishman, I always bet. I've had him, a, you know, 35 to 1. He's the defending champ. So you, you kind of got to look at stuff like that, too. Um, Scheffler's a guy that can be a birdie machine. But uh, who was there? Was one of the guys I told you was playing good. Oh, Billy Horschel's actually playing some really good golf. I mean, he's been making a lot of dough. But I think he's close to winning, too. So if I had to make two, two picks coming out, it's Shoffley and Horschel would be my starting point. See, and, and this is one of those tournaments, Shoffley 12 to 1 at DraftKings, Horschel 45 to 1. This is one where, because of the length, specifically of the South Course, where if you play all 72 holes here, 54 are going to wind up being on that South Course, you really can't take a ton of long shots here because you need guys that are big hitters. You need this is a course that's very much about length because you've got that South Course that's over 7,700 yards. I mean, that thing is a behemoth. The North course is easier, but you only play it for 18 holes. So to me, I think you've got to look at length in a tournament like this. And a lot of the long shot guys just don't hit the ball that far. That's why they're long shot guys. It's why you don't see Zach Johnson's or, you know, Shez Reeves in tournaments like this, because they know they can't compete. They, it takes them three shots to get to a par five, Other guys are getting there in two with ease. So you got to look at distance players here in this event, I think. And one that I started looking at also in that 30 to 40 range, where I think a lot of the good values are this week, Matthew Wolf played really well here last year in his first start. That kid hits the ball a ton. Now, maybe he's got some things to work on with the short game and stuff like that. But, you know, this is about hitting the ball a long way being able to play well with those high irons, giving yourself a six or seven iron in as opposed to a three or four iron. So I think Matthew Wolf at 34 to one does make some sense here this week, because again, he is a guy that can shorten this course, uh, you know, to a degree. Uh, Bubba Watson is another one at 50 to one long layoff for Bubba, but he led the field last year in strokes game T to green. We know he still hits the ball a long way. He's played well here. He's won here in the past. And something else that I kind of thought about here is that, you know, for Bubba Watson, he won in 2011, kind of took a few years off, came back and played it last year, maybe because he knew that Torrey Pines was coming up, wanted to get some reps here for the U.S. Open this year. So he played last year. Now he's back here again this year. You know, guys know which courses kind of fit them, know where they want to play, know why they want to play them. I have the idea that Bubba's back here for a second year kind of makes him pretty interesting at 50 to 1. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm in the middle of finding something interesting just with what you were saying. And I'll go one more year back and fun radio. Is this possible? They keep the, <laughs> um, 
at the farmer's insurance, I'm looking at the last, well, that's 2019. The last three years, a guy you described that merits a look, and I think he's a different player, is Jason Kokrak. And he missed the cut in 2017. Then three years in a row, he's like 20th, 21st, 20th. Well, he, Jason Kokrak's a different guy because he's kicked the door down now. So he's he's got a win under his belt. He's playing with house money. Uh, Jason Kokrak, just listening to you describe what you think need, it's needed to win this tournament, I would look at a guy like Jason Kokrak who, you know, won in Vegas. Uh, he almost won at Colonial. His game's getting better and better. He's a much better player. Plus, now he knows how to win. I think Kokrak's worth a flyer here. I'm, I'm looking to see what we got on him. Uh, 66 60, to 1. 66 to 1. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Jason <laughs> Kokrak. All right. You talked me into it. So I'll go. I'd, go, I'd say Shoffley, Kokrak, and uh, Billy Horschel as a starting point. There you go. I like those three names. I like those three names quite a bit. Uh, you know, one name that you and I did talk about before the show here, he is a massive long shot. I'm seeing him actually as high as 225 to 1. I had him here last year. I know who you're talking about. J.B. Holmes. Yep. Now, the problem here with J.B. Holmes is that he hasn't played in forever. I mean, it's been at least three months since he's had a start. I don't even remember when his last start was. But he does have three top six finishes here. Was 16th at the Farmers Insurance last year. And again, you don't necessarily have to bet him to win. But, you know, places like DraftKings offer top five. Top 10, top Oh, by the way, it's finally coming to Vegas. By the end of this year, they said, top five. I've begged oh, for good. this for a decade. You know, if you like, so if, if you get a guy like um, J.B. Holmes at 175 to win, you should still get 70, 60 to 1 on him to be in the top five. Yeah. I mean, I can't, how many times can, can I run second? I'm, I'm sitting there, we were talking before we went on the air. I said, oh, whether the, the Danish guy or whatever. I'm going, yeah, Alex Noren. I had Alex Norn at 100 to 1. He lost on what was it? The fifth extra hole. They had to play, finish it on a Monday against Jason Day. You know, a great, a great pick. You know, loses in a playoff. I could have had him at top five at 40 to 1. Wasn't offered. Right. No, I, th- I think it's huge. Again, you can have a very you know, diverse portfolio when it comes to golf betting. JB Holmes, 8 to 1 to finish in the top 20, 4.5 to 1 to finish in the top 30. You know, again, maybe he doesn't because he hasn't played in a long period of time, but there's nothing wrong with taking a guy you like in a futures market at 35 to one, but then also taking a look at him, you know, for a top 10 in the five to one range or something like that. A lot of ways to bet golf in this legal U.S. market. And I'm glad to hear that you're going to have more ways to bet golf out there in Vegas soon. No, I'm counting. Uh, I'm trying to think which one was it. Uh, It had to be the safe way. Um, I, I bet him in, in the in, here in the fall. It, I think it was the Safeway Open, and he shot seventy in the first round. But the same thing, he was like hundred to one. JB Holmes, he was like five under through eight holes. He was the leader, and I'm like, all right, all right, yeah, yeah, gonna get a run for my money here in a week. And then Snowman double. That's the problem with him. Disaster is always looming. You know, can can he string it together and not? He's kind of like the the long shot Ricky Fowler. Fowler, you know, Fowler, you watch Fowler. You watch his game, tee to greener, and he's right there and he's right there. And then all of a sudden, where'd Ricky Fowler go? He took a triple. 
You know, these guys that can't avoid the train wreck. Yeah. You know who else is becoming that way is Tony Fino. Oh, my God. That dude you watch, cannot win a tournament. I, no. I mean, I, you, if you watch this tournament Sunday and, you know, Patrick Cantley played great, shoots a 61, but Siwoo Kim was clutched down a stretch and won by a shot. But the Fino could have won that thing in his sleep. He missed three two-footers. Like, two-footers. It's he he can't get out of his own way. He literally sits there and goes, you know, there's a point where he goes, hey, if I make this, I'm going to win. And he misses the hole by a yard. It's un- it's unbelievable. I mean, the, the skill set, it's all there. But there's, oh, oh, that Finau should have won that tournament. It's amazing you bring him up. Yeah. Tony Fowler and Ricky Finau. Is that what we should just start calling those two guys now? That's a I mean, good at this one. Point, they're interchangeable. Ricky Finau, Tony Fowler. Oh, man. I And I feel so bad for dudes like that, too. Like, I know people are going to sit there and say, yeah, well, they still make good money for finishing tied for fourth or whatever. But, man, I root for Ricky in every major. And I'm going to get to the point now where I'm going to root for Finau in every big tournament, too. Just just because I can't imagine. And, and there's, there's nothing I hate more. And golf's a little bit different, obviously. There's nothing I've ever hated more. And like when people shit on Clayton Kershaw because he's one of the best pitchers of all time, but he hadn't won a World Series. Oh, he's so bad in the playoffs. Okay, the guy's also awesome every regular season and helps get his team to the playoffs. Like I hate that narrative of guys that don't show up well, on the big stage. Well, there Golf's you go. A little hey, different because it's individual, but man. Well, buddy, it's the exact same premise. I knew this was going to happen, and you know, every dumbass with, with the low hanging fruit, and. You know, even if, even if they'd have won the thing, they'd have found a way to shoot holes at him. There, there's this big faction of Josh Allen haters out there. Why? I, you know, whatever. But up, told you. That's why I said started this thing with you. Oh, Allen was terrible. It's the big stage, and blah, blah, I told you he's nothing. I'm like, guys, if you watch that game, I mean, there wasn't a whole hell of a lot he could do. There, no one was open. But, but, but that you're the quarterback. You get the praise or you get the blame. Yep. No, absolutely. So some good thoughts there on the farmer's insurance open. Make sure you check out my preview over at ATS.io for that tournament as well. And Brian, we'll finish up here on the NHL side of things. And something interesting I threw at you here at the, uh, or before we started recording home favorites in the NHL so far, 35 and 13, 72.9% on the season. Last year, of course, the season was shortened a little bit. Now we had the round robin games, which are included. I don't know why, but they are. Uh, home favorites last year, 55.9%, 474 and 374. So good, you know, last year, 56%, but this year, 73% for the home favorites so far in the NHL. It's going to change. It's going to change. And I'll, I think we're only six, seven, eight games in. And we saw what happened with the Caps, where the four Russian players went to the room, got, you know, in whatever. They're out. These guys are learning protocols and all this other stuff. It's the first time they've been traveling again in over a year. You know, you had the bubble where they were all stuck there. It was the same boat. I think there's, in fact, I asked Pete DeBoer this after the first road game in the post-game press conference. And he said, no, 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 not that, not to the point where it would impact the way we play, but I think it's a, it's a real thing. They're learning the protocols, what they can and can't do on the road. Literally these guys 
go to the rink and the hotel. The rink and the hotel. But they go to the hotel and they go to their room. There, there's no interaction. You know what I mean? Like these guys, you go to your room and be a good boy. You know, these guys are stuck in hotel rooms watching TV. They're learning the ropes on itineraries and schedules and how to deal with here's how here's how we have to do this on the road. So I think there's a real learning curve. Slowly but surely, these teams now get it down to rhythm. Here's what we got to do. We talked about this before the season starts. You watch teams on the back end of a four-game road trip, mentally they're going to check out. Like, get me to hell home. I want to get home to my wife and kids and the dog, and I'm sick of being in this hotel room. And they've only been on the road for four games. It's a travel thing. I really believe that. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I think that we can also, though, take some things kind of out of it. And, and you mentioned teams on those long road trips, and I sort of look at Montreal here where they were on a six-game road trip, and maybe Vancouver is just not any good. I mean, maybe that's a possibility, or maybe Montreal is just awesome. But the way they finished that road trip was a big surprise to me, playing a third straight game in Vancouver, and they were dominant in the last two games there uh, in British Columbia. I think that maybe, you know, even though it is a small sample size, it's, you know, not a lot of data points for us to look at, you know, we're finding out about the identities of these teams. And to me, when you've spent like five days in the same city, not able to, you know, go to your teammates room, not able to do anything, and you can still stay focused on the task at hand and play that well, gives me confidence in betting on a team like that. Can I do a, um, a, um, a stupid plug do you Go mind if it. i do a plug no that's fine all right my buddy cam stewart we have a podcast it's called the hockey betting po- it's the hockey betting podcast the hockey betting podcast.ca a he's an idiot and funny he he's a box of rocks i mean he's literally i it, it, we, we laugh half the time we're doing it but the winners were given out honest to god i mean i'm being dead serious We've been following this sport forever, and it's not rocket science. And I would just – you mentioned a team. I mean, I like we love Montreal. I think that's a great team. But honestly, we nailed that series with Vancouver. And I think you can do this and, and find these teams. In, in so much of what's going on in hockey now are situational plays. When Montreal went to Vancouver, Vancouver sitting there at the time, they had one win. Like It was like you're looking at it going – Their season is on the line here. I mean, literally, we're so early in the season. Their season's on the line. They have to win the game tonight. Montreal's the better team. Vancouver won the game 6-5. They were life and death, but they won the game. Now you have two more games going, okay, they got to win. Montreal's the better team. Then you come back with Montreal, who win comfortably the next two games. So now Vancouver's got Ottawa coming in last night. And Vancouver's a $1.40 favorite. And it's the same scenario that existed in the first game when they were hosting Montreal going, their season is on the line. Like, I mean, the, the GM's under duress. You know, he's on the hot seat. But the funny thing is, if you win three in a row, you're right back in it. But Vancouver had to beat Ottawa last night. They had to. They played eight games now. All right? Our teams already have games in hand on them. If they lost last night, they'd have been in the basement below Ottawa. Well, they what they win? They won seven one. They were a gift last night, and the puck line was plus a dollar eighty. Honestly, these are situational plays. The Sabers had won. They got swept by uh, Washington. Went to Philly. Philly had murdered teams. Buffalo sitting there going, "Our season's on the line here. You can't have a three game losing streak." They won the first game against Philly. I think it was six one. 
honestly, look at the standings. And, and there are situations where you sit there and go, my God, this is a playoff game for these guys. Yeah. No, it's, I agree. It's right there in front of your face. And, 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 you know, team that loses the first game, come back with them in a revenge spot because they've got the desperation of the team that won the first game doesn't. It, it, this is going to be – hockey's always the best sport to bet. This year is – it's Cha-Ching City. It really is. The, the Philly Philly and Boston played the first game, and I watched the Sabres play the Flyers for a couple of games. Philly's a disaster in their own end of the rink. Boston couldn't shoot it in the ocean. So they go, okay, Philly-Boston, five and a half. I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that one. I mean, the, the goals are about to come, and, and certainly, you know, Boston's – pissed that they're not scoring goals and i just watched the flyers play two games where it was a fire drill in their own end of the rink this is a game on thursday the total is five and a half the final was five four i said that's a, that's an over game and then two games in a row boston philly they may get five and a half five four six one the, the odds makers only can do so much and now you're throwing backup goalies into the equation carter hart's all of a sudden playing like crap it's only a couple game window Jersey's out of the gate. Lindy Ruff, he's doing a great job. Wow, look at New Jersey. Well, these guys haven't played. They're one of the seven that missed. You know, they're hungry, got a new coach. They're all fire and ice, and they're ready to, okay, get great. Good for him. I love Lindy Ruff. He's, he's a friend. I, You know, I'm rooting for him hard. I got news for you. After a dozen games, water's going to find its level with Jersey. You know what I mean? But right now, they're playing good. Yeah, no, I agree. I think you can you can do a lot of I don't even want to call it reactionary based stuff, but I mean to a degree it kind of is. You know, like tonight, for example, I look at a team like Nashville. This is a must-win game tonight for Nashville. You're a dollar seventy-five favorite taking on a Chicago team that's you know not very good, has injury concerns, missing some guys, all that kind of thing. Give them credit. They battled, you know, after kind of struggling with Tampa Bay and, and some of the other better teams that they played, but Nashville's already lost three in a row. And in this 56-game sprint, you talked about this before the season even started, you cannot have losing streaks. You just cannot do it. You have to stop them immediately. And for Nashville, their back's up against the wall tonight. And should they be a $1.75 favorite? Eh, maybe not. But, you know, it, maybe there is some price inflation built into that number just because of, you know, what you've already talked about, what we've kind of seen play out already. All right, I'll... So anybody's listening, don't don't go nuts. I mean, it can lose. But I think tonight is one of the strongest plays I've seen in a while. Again, I don't want somebody, you know, bridge jumping here going nuts. But I just watched the Sabres play the Caps. And the Sabres took three or four points from the Caps. And I'm ripping them to shreds. I'm like, I, you know, I, they got three or four points. But their goalie, Olmark, his father passed away. They should have been playing like their life depended on it. And the Caps had four guys out. And they lose the first game in a shutout. The second game, they're getting punched in the mouth. Taylor Hall got run, coughed the puck up, and they scored. And the Sabres did nothing. Nothing. No pushback. I'm like, these guys are soft. But they get a ton of ability and guys that can score. Well, they end up winning the game in a shootout. But I'm watching Washington. It was basically Backstrom and... Uh, Oshie and Carlson, the defenseman, those three guys against the Sabres. And they got, they got three out of uh, three of a possible four. Okay. They're playing the Islanders today. 
I, the Islanders are a dollar thirty favorite coming in here. Tom Wilson also got hurt over the weekend, so the the, the Caps are minus five guys, and the Islanders are coming off a loss. I listen. Give them credit; they got points. But if the Islanders show up with a stone in their shoe coming off a loss, the Islanders should win this game by three goals tonight. I really like the Islanders today. And the numbers telling you something. They're $1.30 on the road. Hell, Buffalo was $1.30 on the road against Washington. The only, the only difference is it's the Islanders and it was the Sabres. Well, the Islanders, I think the Islanders have way better goaltending and they'll take advantage of the shortcoming that Washington has at the moment. If Buffalo to beat them the two games the way they should have beat them, the Islanders would be $1.70 here now. All right, I, I like the Islanders. They're an upset. Don't, don't, you know, please, if you're listening, don't go, go nuts. Watch the Caps win or something. But I, I think the Islanders step on their neck tonight. One other situation I want to ask you about is Columbus. You know, they finally make that Dubois trade, and they didn't want to trade him. I mean, you know, he's one of the best players on the roster, but it was a, it was not a good situation at all. We of course saw that shift. You know, where he wound up getting benched for the rest of the game against Tampa Bay and all that. So Columbus completes the trade, get him out of there. They're a little bit shorthanded for their second game against Tampa Bay because you know, they hadn't gotten line A yet. They still don't have line A yet. He's got to pass, you know, quarantine or, or whatever. He's still on IR, but he'll, he'll oh, be yeah. ready to go soon. Right. So, you know, Columbus is, is still a little bit shorthanded without Dubois. They had to shuffle the lineup a little bit. And they beat Tampa Bay 5-2 the other night. Tonight, Florida's in town. Florida bringing Sergey Bobrovsky back. That was another situation that was kind of uncomfortable for Columbus for a while. They found out how to make that one work for the most part. But even the Blue Jackets, and you got to think a team that's very tight-knit like they are, you know, with a guy in Tortorella who, Tortorella lets you know where you stand with him. I mean, he's not a guy that, you know, kind of pulls punches or anything like that. Is Columbus worth playing on here in the short term now that they've got that situation behind them? Uh... It's a good question. They, they were a gold mine the other day, but here's the thing. Tampa Bay won the cup. The, the collective sigh of relief. When they won the cup, they won the cup when they beat Columbus. Columbus is their kryptonite. Columbus knocked them out the year before. The first game of that series was, what, five overtimes? Yep. Columbus just matches up with Tampa Bay. They, they get up for them. Uh, I think the 5-2 win, the trade was made, and the air's out of the room, and finally they get Dubois out of here and they rallied around one another. I, I, I like Tortorella. I, you know, I know he's a nut bar. I, I like Columbus. I like their grit and the whole nine yards. But Florida is just really getting their season started. I mean, I think they'll, they'll beat Chicago coming up here a couple of games, get a split out of Dallas. Columbus, Carolina down the road's a nice series. Then they get two more with Chicago. They're going to do well here in the, in the you know in the next little bit. I like I like the makeup of the team, uh, and once Liney gets in there, they'll get a short term bump. Like you said, they don't have him yet. I'd be a little leery. I wouldn't be jumping on him like right out of the gate. Um, and actually, playing Florida could be a letdown for them after you know after beating Tampa Bay like that. The, the, this could be kind of a sketchy letdown spot. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I like the team. I, I think down the road. Uh, they're they're going to do very well, but I I buyer beware for me against Florida here. I First mean Florida. The, you look at the Central Division, man. These teams now have to play fifty two games in a hundred days. Fifty yep. uh, uh, Dallas, because you had the problem with um, 
Who was first? Dallas was first. Florida couldn't start their season. All right. So Florida then beat Chicago a couple of games. And then they're supposed to play Carolina. Carolina gets it. So Florida, Florida, they're as healthy as they could be. And these guys haven't played a game since last Tuesday. And then they've got to make up all these games. Now, Florida's done nothing wrong. Or no, I mean, has anybody done anything wrong? That's the wrong way to put it. But Florida's a victim of two other teams having a problem. So we don't know anything about Florida yet other than they're 2-0. Oh. Yeah. Maybe an over tonight? Um. Yeah, I mean, if I if I would I would I think the total would be a safer way to is it six or five and a half? Five and a half. Yeah, I'd probably lean to the over. I mean, I think Bobrovsky still can't stop a medicine ball. He he five four in overtime. The black the Blackhawks put up four on him. Yeah, there you go. Merry Christmas. The over. All right, there like we it. go. I like it. Good. I liked a lot of what we talked about here on today's show with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, also contributor to our ATS YouTube page. We'll have a lot of Super Bowl content coming up, uh, including a lot of prop videos there from Brian. But, Brian, what about the two shows? And, and also, you mentioned the Hockey Betting Podcast. So I guess you got three shows going on right now. Uh, yeah, the list is growing, kid. It's fun. It's nuts. Tuesday's all you and me. I got you. We do your thing in the morning, and then uh, you'll join me on Sportsbook Radio. Uh, it would be 2 to 4 Eastern on Sirius Channel 204. And Adam will be on with us in hour number one today. Uh, do that with Stevie Slapshot. Odds makers, handicappers, both sides of the counter got you covered. We do Vegas Hockey Hotline, 1 p.m. Pacific time, KSHP.com. You can listen to it live if you're a hockey fan. The HockeyBettingPodcast.ca with Cam Stewart. All of this nonsense is on my Twitter at Brian Blessing. How's that? Keep it simple. There you go. Sounds good. Oh, well, sure. You know what? One thing, though, I, I do want to say, and you will do, and we do the videos for you, uh, but the next two weeks are crazy. We'll, we, we get to the point by Tuesday next week, we're sick of it, play the damn game, but then we get a, a second win with all the props, and every year we'll be at Sunset Station early next week doing the shows, but on Thursday and Friday, it's our annual Super Bowl prop shows, Jay Cornegay's kind of the king of the props. We'll be over at the Superbook doing the radio shows. Oscar Goodman's coming by. Uh, he always comes by. It's always good fun. But we really dive into the props and the numbers that have moved and try to find you value and break down the game. Next Thursday and Friday, our annual Super Bowl prop shows. We'll be doing those over at the Superbook at the Westgate. Oh, it absolutely sounds awesome. Definitely looking forward to hearing about those. And uh, looking forward to being on your show today here this afternoon as well. Brian right, Blessing, buddy. host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, at Brian Blessing on Twitter. Thanks so much for your time, man. Go get warmed up, and I'll talk to you again here in a little bit. You got it, pal. There you go. Brian Blessing, always fun talking NFL, NHL, and golf here with him on today's show. Coming up on Wednesday's edition of ATS Radio, we'll chat with Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers about his thoughts on Super Bowl 55, early side and total, kind of his prop strategies. Then take a look at the college basketball side of things, uh, taking a look at the Big Ten and some of the other games coming up here for this week. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.